Hi everybody, Wynn Claybaugh here and welcome to another Masters podcast series. I am featuring this guy. Oh my gosh, you are going to be so happy at the end of this interview. His name is Jordan Toma and I got to share with you who this guy is. So obviously I'm going to read this, okay? Uh, Jordan is one of the top youth motivational speakers and youth advocates in the U.S. Jordan wrote a book titled I'm just a kid with an IEP, and IEP, by the way, stands for Individualized Education Program. Diagnosed with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, known as ADHD, dyslexia, and a reading comprehension learning disability, Jordan struggled in elementary school through high school. He's going to tell his own story, but a bit more. In 2015, Jordan spoke with students in the same pre-college program he attended after 12th grade. And since then, Jordan has motivated thousands of students, parents, and faculty at speaking engagements in 25 states and counting. Jordan has been featured on NBC's Today Show and has well over 3 million social media followers. You got to watch what he's putting out, man. It's just, it's just, it's on fire. Jordan fills rooms with students, parents, teachers, and hope. I love that. Whoever wrote that one, Jordan, that's a good one. Jordan has been known to drive thousands of miles delivering books to kids who needed it and makes direct connections with his followers whenever he is able. Uh, One of his quotes, which we're going to ask him exactly what he means by this, his quote is, my struggle is my strength. Today, I wear that like a badge of honor. So, Jordan, thank you so, so much for agreeing to be here with our Masters podcast. You got it. And thank you for bringing me on. I'm excited. Well, you know what? Let's just start with that incredible quote. My struggle is my strength. Today, I wear that like a badge of honor. What do you mean by that? So when I when I and then when I put at the end of it like I wear it as a badge of honor. The reason why I, I'm proud of it because I used to hide it, right? I used to hide my struggles. I used to not anyone. I didn't want anyone to see me going to the tutor, going to psychologists in the in the special education room. I didn't want anyone to know what I struggled with. And then what I realized as I got older was that my struggles really became my strengths. But I had to go through the struggles to build up the momentum to get to the strength. And the best way I could describe, you know, your struggle is your strength is when you work really, really hard and you fail, but you keep going and you fail and you put all the effort towards the things that are hard for you and you keep on showing up and you keep going. And eventually opportunities are going to present themselves to you and you're going to see them and only you can see them because of your struggles and you will see them and you'll be able to grab them and you'll take that same effort and you'll apply that to your gifts, the things that you're good at. Same effort, right? Same work ethic, same grit, but applying that to your gifts, that's what makes you unstoppable. And I didn't know that. I didn't know I would ever get there. And I thought I, I wouldn't, and this, none of the struggling would never matter, but it all mattered and all was worth it. And it got me there. So that's what my struggle is my strength means. And it's cool because it's universal because we all struggle. And I know everyone struggles, whether it's with anxiety, whether it's with school, socially, whatever it is, we all have something we really do struggle with every single day. But if we can flip it and, and turn it into a positive, like you said, that was, that was a good quote that said, you know, bring in hope, you know, have some hope. We can keep going, and then we're going to get to our strengths. But the whole time, it, it was our struggles. Well, you talk about that. Everybody has a struggle. And, and although your audience might be specifically for young kids in, in grade school or high school, as you talk and as I watch your social media 
uh, postings and the videos that you put out, you know, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there, I know a hundred adults who need to hear this message. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because yeah. as adults, we're, we're trying to hide as adults. We're trying to got one day. They're going to figure me out one day. They're going to realize that I am not qualified for this job position that I have or this power that I have. And you talk about that struggle that you had of maybe that same sentiment that one day they're going to figure me out here in college. Maybe I don't fit in. Can you share that with us? Yeah. Like, so one of the biggest things I was so afraid, I'll never forget. I was so afraid to go to college because I didn't feel like I could do it. And I also didn't really get accepted to the college. What happened was I was denied from, from 15 colleges. Everyone that I applied to, I had a 1.7 GPA. I'd never passed an assignment on my own in school. I failed out of my first high school that I went to. It was a private school. It was a little bit of a tougher school, like it was, it was academically, but my parents wanted to get me in a different environment. They thought it would be better for me, and I ended up failing out, and it was a really tough moment because when I failed out of there, I, I truly gave up on myself, and then I went back to public school, and I, and I just completely stopped showing up, and before I knew it, I was a senior with, with no GPA, SAT scores so low, no college would accept me, no one would give me a chance, but all I had was my mom telling me I could do it, right? And when when your mom's telling you you can do it, you think she's just telling you that because she's your mom. And I would just be like, mom, you're just my mom, that's why you're saying it, you know? And I'm, and I'm like, no schools believe in me, no one will give me a chance, you're believing in me, so wh why should I feel like I'm, I'm capable of going here? And I was terrified. And my mom saw something in me, just like when I speak at schools, you know, it could be your mom, it could be your dad, it could be someone. There's always someone in your life that can see something in you, and you got to grab onto that. But I was fighting it off, and I got to college. Well, I, got ex I finally got accepted to this program, and it was called the Step Ahead Program, and it was a summer program. So every college said no. I remember I got suspended from school. I came home. I, got, I had to leave school early, and I walked in the house, and, and I thought my mom was going to be mad at me that I got suspended the last few days. And then I picked up the mail on the way in, and I saw a big envelope from this school called Centenary. And I remember opening it, ripping it open. It said, you've been accepted to Centenary. My mom fell to her knees like I got into Harvard. And she's like, Jordan, read it, read it. And all I read was school starts in, in one day. I'm like, one day, mom, I'm graduating high school tomorrow. Why would I start school in the summer? She's like, no, 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 you got to go to a summer program. So right off the bat, I felt like I wasn't qualified. You know, they, they wanted me to go to this summer school. And then I thought that my mom made up this program to ruin my life. So I was stuck between those two feelings. But just like, you know, my mom said, you have no choice, you're going. And I remember they forced me in the car and I went there. And when I walked in there, I remember I cried the whole way up to the school. I tried to get out of the car. My parents put the child lock on because, you know, I, when I was younger, I used to jump out of my mom's car on the way to school. So they, they were worried I was going to do it as I was older. And I was going to do it. And they did lock me in there and they drove me up. And when I got up there, I remember looking around and I remember telling my mom how much I hated her. And, you know, and I, and I tell the kids this, you know, sometimes the people in your life will take the risk that you might hate them in the moment for you to save your life or change your life. And that's what my mom was doing. That's what the ones that love you the most will do for you. And, and I didn't see that at the time. I was just so mad at my mom for bringing back these feelings that I had about myself because that's what it did. You know, going into an uncomfortable situation brings all your insecurities out. And that's what school always was for me. And I didn't want to go. And I have a couple of questions sure. here. I want to, I want to go back a little bit. So at what point did you receive this 
diagnosis that you have ADHD or other disadvantages, learning challenges, anxiety? At, at what age were you diagnosed or, or told any of those things? So it was way back. So I was probably around fourth grade when I went back to public schools, fourth grade. That's when I started to realize, you know, I was struggling and I was paying more attention to, you know, psychologists and, and teachers and doctors that I was going to. And it was around fourth grade, fifth grade. And then really sixth grade was when it was like, it was like, I really kind of understood where I was at. And what did that do to your, your self-esteem, your, your confidence? So it was like this label, right? It was like the one thing I remember being a little kid and hearing doctors talk about me to my parents while I was right there, right? And it was hard because when you're younger, you don't really understand completely, but you hear it, you hear it, and everyone takes what they hear in, in their own way. But it, you could tell they were talking about you in a way, like almost as if I had like this problem. And I remember hearing it. And then I remember saying to myself, well, I got this problem now. I might as well, you know, give up. You know, I got I, like I, that's what it made me feel like. It made me feel like I had this problem and I wasn't going to be OK. And I kind of just like, used it as almost an excuse for myself, really, to keep going. And, and, and that's what I did. Was there ever any threat of personal harm? I mean, how bad did it get? It got, what I used to do is, well, I was very angry. I would run away from home a lot. I'd run away. I'd run, I wouldn't know where to go because I was young, but I, I remember I would run into the woods and I would hide for hours and my parents couldn't find me. And I would choose to, I would find ways to get in trouble. I always wanted to get in trouble. I always thought like getting into trouble was just a way out. And I was just, it was more me just being kind of just just getting into trouble and being really angry, really, really angry and running away. No real self-harm, just just more anger, just anger towards my parents and anger towards myself and kind of just just trying to get – I wanted to leave. I used to listen to this song by Linkin Park every day called Run Away. And, you know, when you sometimes you hear a song and you feel like they're talking about your life, that was that song that was, like, talking about my life. It was – I want to run away and never never say goodbye. And that's what I wanted. I just wanted to run away and never say goodbye. And and that that's where I was at in my head. I was just trying to, to run away. And I didn't know where that was. So what was the turning point then? The turning? So it was a long road of this. I mean, it was, so this was sixth grade and then, and then it was a lot of psychologists. I mean, I think I went to almost every psychologist on the East Coast. I missed about a hundred days of school in uh, in sixth grade. I missed a lot of school in seventh grade, eighth grade. I just couldn't get myself to go through those doors, and I took all my anger out on my on my parents and my mostly my mom. And the real turning point. I mean, I gave my mom a really hard time until I was eighteen years old. So the turning point was around eighteen. Like it was, my mom had a hard. She had a hard fight for a, a lot of years with me uh, until I was eighteen. Eighteen was kind of the turning point where I started to change my life. So with this diagnosis of ADHD, um, you know, I just a couple of days ago, I, I came across a, a TED talk and I, I apologize that I don't have the name of the, the woman who is delivering this, but I did pull something from her message on ADHD. Do you mind if I just share this really quickly? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so I'm quoting her. She says, roughly one in 10 of the world's population are born with brains genetically designed for super-powered creativity. These rare individuals 
have the same brain traits that allowed Virgin Group founder Sir Richard Branson to create 400 companies, journalist Lisa Ling break award-winning stories, marketing guru Seth Grodin to become a serial entrepreneur and a famous author. It's what allowed Albert Einstein to generate more than 300 scientific works. It gave us Leonardo da Vinci's artwork, Emily Dickinson's 1800 poems, Mozart's magic flute, Picasso's blues. I mean, it just goes on and on. And she, in her TED Talk, is thinking, gosh, we would all want to hire somebody like that. And yet the mental deficit all these individuals have been diagnosed with are believed to have had ADHD. It is a terrible name, and I believe we need to shift the narrative altogether. That's powerful stuff. And yet you had that label. I had that label, and I, and I could see what she's saying because it's hard. When you get that label, you think it's a, a bad label. And then, and then and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're treated a little different with that label. You know, you notice it. As a kid, you notice it. So I noticed it. And sometimes you don't, like she said, like like all those people that she mentioned, they all had gifts, right, because of it. But in the beginning, they got diagnosed with that and weren't able to kind of show the world their gifts yet. They had to get through the mud. And that's the hardest part is getting a diagnosis, hearing it, and then trying to figure out, wait a minute, this, this really is my gift. And uh, why is it my gift? So it's stories like that and my message like that to help the kids like like me and everyone else that says hey they get this label this is this is not a disadvantage this, this is an advantage i have a very good friend who's quite the brilliant mentor and millions of followers and i'm certainly not divulging anything that she doesn't share over and over again that she was diagnosed with adult adhd so it was later in life in her I don't know, in her 30s or 40s when she got this diagnosis and which at the beginning kind of scared her. And now she's like, this is my superpower. And I have a feeling that because of what you discuss, of what you share, what you talk about in front of your audiences, you opening that door, so to speak, gives those students permission to come up and share stuff with you, correct? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, that's what my goal is. You know, I want to talk about that stuff. So there's so like when there's 700 kids and I say, Hey, who here has anxiety? Cause a lot of kids that have ADHD have anxiety because of it, because they feel like they're not, you know, they're not fitting in and they're not feeling right. And because their mind is all over the place and they're creative and they look at it as a bad thing. And then I, I remembered I was at a school, uh, almost there were 700 kids, almost all their hands went up that they have anxiety. And at the end, they all come up and they tell me all these things that they've never told anyone before, you know, and they're just telling me they never even met me before right there, but they feel open enough to do it. And the reason why I ask those questions for 700 kids, because I want everyone to see the hands go up, right? Because maybe they see the girl that they didn't, they thought they didn't had no problems, right? But her hands up, or maybe the boy that had no problems, right? And then everyone starts raising their hand. I can see them all look around and it's really a special moment, I, and I do it every single time, and I, and I love to see it. And then what I do is I look around at all the kids, and I have this necklace that I wear for anxiety, and I take the one off my neck, and I give it to one student because I want them to feel special. I want to give them mine. And I look for their eyes, and I can see in their eyes, like, the ones that need it the most. I just Something just attracts me to it. I go with my gut, and I look, I look, I look. And every time, I, I don't know how many schools I've done, but I always get the kid that needs it the most, right? Always. They come up to me, or their mom will send me an email. Hey, you're at my son's school. You have no idea how much that necklace meant to my son. You, you changed his life in that one moment. So it's a really important thing to, to open up and get the kids to open up because it's going to be okay. And they need to know it. 
Well, first of all, I, I want to know what the necklace is. So I wear this necklace. So like, I haven't never spoke on a podcast and talked about like my ADHD as an adult. But so having ADHD as an adult for me, and everyone has a different experience, but for me, like my days are, it's a hard day. Like the like only way I can explain, it, like when I get in my car, my brain is is going everywhere. I'm thinking of ideas, all these things I got to do. I'm a hundred miles an hour. I can't even turn the music on. A lot of days because the music will just make it worse. It's too many voices in my head. And not that I'm hearing voices, but I'm just thinking and thinking and thinking. The music just makes it way worse for me. And it and it, and it gives me anxiety and every day. And I always, I wake up and my brain's 100 miles an hour. And I, and I try to go to bed at night and wind down and watch TV and I can't. So I just kind of lay there and fall asleep. It's always just like full speed or, or out cold. And... I was dealing with this, and I, I remember I was on the beach with my with my son. And I couldn't even sit on the beach because my brain just wouldn't stop. And I wanted my brain just to just give me a break for a minute. And I was looking up online, like, anxiety, calm yourself down. How can I do this? And it was 2019, and I looked up, like, this necklace, and it was called the Shift Necklace. And it's made by Camuso. I actually built a relationship with the owner. And I ordered one. I put it on my neck, and it's basically just a breathing tool. You just breathe through it. You just breathe. It's old. It looks like a little whistle. It's cool looking. I'm wearing it right now. And you just breathe, right? So I just put it on my neck and I would just breathe when I would have this feeling and I would breathe and I would breathe. And then I started to feel better, you know, just, just focusing on my breathing and just, just breathing and, and continuing to move and continuing to move. And then just the fact that I had this necklace on my neck, even though I wasn't using it as much anymore, it was like making me feel like I was okay. Cause it was like a symbol, like it's okay. Your anxiety is not going to get you and you're going to be okay. So I put it on my neck and it helped me. So I kept wearing it. And one day I was at a school and I was wearing it first time I was speaking at school. I never did it before. And I asked that question and I said, you know what? I'm going to give my necklace to somebody because, and then I did it. And now I continue to do it every time I speak. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's called the shift necklace. I have it on my Instagram. People can buy them, but I give them out at all my, I pick one student every event. This shift as an S H I F T S H I F T. And it's by, um, the brand is Camuso. Got it. So I, I'm sure you have a story or a hundred stories to tell. You shared the story that you'll, you'll get emails from moms saying you have no idea what you did for my, my son today. Do you have any specific stories that come to mind of a kid or a, or a parent or maybe a kid that came up to you and, and shared something with you? Do you have any stories that you want to share? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so like uh, multiple times, you know, one of the most eye-opening moments sometimes when, they, when the, my favorite part about speaking at school is, is at the end when I speak with, and I hang out with the kids at the end. And I was leaving a school one day. It was, I think it was a thousand kids. And I let, all, I let all the kids run up at the end. I signed their books. I hang out with them. I signed their shoes. And you, never, and you never know who's coming up to you. And it's never in order. And this kid comes running up to me and he says, hey, I just want to let you know, I, I'm so happy I came today. I was going to end my life today. And I grabbed him and I gave him a hug, you know, and I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what school he was at. There were multiple schools there. I gave him a hug. And I gave him a wristband and I, and I just told him, I said, hey, you know what? I said, I'm here today to remind you that everything's going to be OK. That's why I'm here. And he just like smiled and he gave me a hug back and he took off. And I took a picture with him and I never saw him again. And he ended up messaging me later, you know, later uh, when I got home from that school and just just thanking me again. And um, that no matter what, sometimes when I speak, I'm like, I could have been better. I feel like I could have done this. But that. When I get moments like that, that's like, all right, you know, I did my job here. I, one, I know he's okay. You know, I know that student's right. okay. And that's happened multiple times. And I don't talk about 
suicide or things like that in my talks. I do share stories like that to the kids when I can um, with the big group. But what I talk about sometimes branches off into those thoughts that they're not feeling good about themselves because of what I talk about and then leads to that. So my story, when my struggles, right, and I when, I when I ask them questions, it opens that door. So I don't ask people, hey, have you ever thought about, you know, committing suicide or having those type of thoughts? But it always comes up and in after it because I feel like a lot of those thoughts happen when you don't feel like you're good enough and you don't feel like it's going to be OK. And my message is all, hey, it's going to be OK. And this is why. Well, so when did people start paying attention? Like, when did you get on people's radar with all of this? Oh, probably, probably during COVID. So it was a long win. It was a long ride, man. And nobody, nobody believed in me. Nobody would give me a chance. Nobody would let me in their schools. You know, I tried everything. The only person, my mom was always my biggest cheerleader. Jordan, you can do it. right? And nobody, nobody would give me a chance. Like 2015 was my first time I did it. And then I said, you know what? I want to help more kids. I bought a, I'll never forget it. I bought a list of every school principal in the United States. And I created these little flyers on Vistaprint and nobody knew me. I didn't have a website, nothing. And I created a flyer with some quotes that I, I made up and I shipped it out. It was like $4,000. And when I shipped it out, I was so happy. I'm like, I'm sending these all out to every principal in the United States. And I'm going to go to all these schools and help these kids. And I got one email back. And it was a school that said, hey, you spelt the word principal wrong. Because I, I, I'm not a good speller. And, I, and I, I can't see my own mistakes. And I spelt principal like principal, not the school principal, the other principal. And that's the only email, email I got back. Their email was just to correct you. It wasn't to invite you. No, it was just to correct me. And I remember feeling so bad. I was oh so God, mad got, and felt so laugh. bad. Yeah. And I remember going, that is such a Jordan mistake, you know, that I would do spend $4,000 and, and do that. Right. But I was like, you know what? We are nothing without our mistakes. Right. So I was like, but that's me. Right. That's me. Like, that's that's what I, I make mistakes like that. I made mistakes like that my whole life. That's that's what I did. But that had to tell you something, though, Jordan. Didn't that tell you something about, like, here you are reaching out. I want to help your kids. And what they focus on was you didn't know how to spell correctly. Like, they didn't, right. they didn't acknowledge that, oh, my gosh, here's somebody. And we have this need. We need people who have a passion for coming in and sharing information. And But all they cared about was that you misspelled a word. Right, right. And like, I was hoping they could look beyond that, right? After I said that, I'm like, they got to look beyond that. Like, we are not our spelling mistakes, right? As a human, we're not, please, you know? Please we tell are... me that school has already booked you to come in. No, no, they never did. They, that's Can all they said. Can you please forward to me the name of that principal? I have a phone call to make. Yeah, right. I will. I will. <laughs> and then, but you know what? I didn't let it get in my head because you know what? I was used to that. I've made mistakes before. I failed before. I was like, all right, this is just part of the process, right? And I realized, you know, hey, you know what? Who I'm becoming in this process is worth more than, you know, who I become later. It's who I become in the process. That's that's what's important here. So I kept pushing and pushing, making videos, you know, sharing about my life. And then one morning I woke up. It was 2020. I woke up and my phone was going crazy. And I said to my wife, Kate, I was like, I think I have 300,000 views on this video about me like having an IEP and I kind of kept like going crazy. I'm like, wow, there's so many kids that can relate to this. And that's when I was like, wait a minute, it's, this, this, it's happening. You know, I got to keep going. It was the first time like I was posting videos since 2015. Nobody watched. It was 2020. Finally, somebody watched. Right. And then that's when I started to get out there and 
I'll never forget, like as an entrepreneur, you know, like I believe like I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. So I, I have an insurance uh, financial service business. I have a real estate business and, you know, I never like, you know, I, that's what I did, you know, because that's where I was at in my life. But I knew that I wasn't born to sell life insurance. I wasn't born to, I, I, I want to help people. That's what I was born. I love helping people. And I made a decision in 2020. I said, you know what, I'm going to not worry about anything else. And I'm going to reach out to schools and I'm going to do this. And I remember 2020 going to 21, I got my first like real like schools. Well, I got my first win. Actually, I'll tell you, I got my first, this is, you'll like this story. It was 2018 and I emailed like all these schools, this little flyer I made, I made this little flyer and I used to print it out. I used to put it in bathrooms at gas stations or when I would go to a hotel, I just leave it everywhere. I had no website, just a little bit about me and just say book me with my, with my cell phone number. And I, I put these flyers out. I won this trip to, called MDRT. It's called Million Dollar Roundtable. It's for advisors that you know that do do good. You know, they bring you on this trip, whatever. And when I got to my hotel, there was a teachers' convention at the hotel. And I'm like someone that if I see an opportunity, I just go for it. You know. And I'm like, you know what? There's a teacher's convention here. What if I go into the lunchroom with 500 teachers and ask the person who's running it if I can speak just while they're eating lunch? Just tell them my story. Tell them what I want to do. So I walk in there with this flyer, you know, and I run up to the guy and he says to me, um, you know, he reads my bio and goes, this is not appropriate for this lunch. He's like, you can't come in. And I was, I was so angry that he told me it wasn't appropriate. And he said, please leave. And, like, when he, and he put his hand on my shoulder and walked me out. And he walked me out. And I went upstairs in my room, in my hotel room. And I started emailing more schools. I'm like, I got to get in some schools. That, you know, that gave me like kind of this, this rush to get more schools. And this one school in California, actually, it was in West Covina. And they wrote back. They said, hey, listen, we have um, a budget of $500. Can you speak here? I'm like, yes. I didn't even know where West Covina was. It was in California. I didn't even know. I said, yes, right away. I'll be there. October, I'll be there. And I booked my flight. My flight was six fifty. My Uber was like another hundred. I was and my wife says, You're already negative, you know, money here. Jordan's I'm like, it doesn't matter, Kate. I'm going. The kids are there. So I went, first school, got there, spoke. I didn't even know what I was gonna say, and I did it. I got in the airplane. I received one email from one kid telling me they're never gonna give up. Thank you for coming. And that was like, you know, I got to keep doing this. And then that was my first school ever. And then 2020 is when I started booking multiple schools, multiple schools and kind of getting on the radar. This story you just told, I hope you tell this story a million times. (laughs) Because otherwise people are going to say, oh, Jordan was an overnight success. I'm looking at your uh, Instagram. You have 625,000 followers. Jordan, it's so easy for him. He works out every day. He... This came easy. Uh, he was an overnight success. But as these stories that <laughs> you, you accept a gig for $500 and you're in the hole covering your expenses to get there, but you didn't care. I, I didn't I didn't care. And then and, and that's and that's that's why I share these, because like, especially as people, you know, trying like other speakers will reach out to me. And I remember I used to direct message speakers when I had 200 followers. And 200 of them were people I knew. And I would message people, hey, do you have any advice? Hey, can you give me some? No one ever responded to me, nobody. And now I have, you know, I have about 1.1 million followers on Facebook, 1.6 on TikTok, and 600 something on Instagram. 
I get DMs all the time from other speakers that are trying to break into that world, you know, that have a story and a message. And I believe in storytelling. I believe everybody's story is powerful. You like your story is what resonates with people. Like that's the whole point. Like, like we're all humans. We all have different stories. And that is the most like we don't want to hear fake stories. We hear real stories, you know, and I love stories. I love hearing people's stories. So speakers reach out to me all the time and I always respond and I say, hey, you know, here's my cell phone number. Call me anytime. I'll give you everything that I figured out. And I always do that because, you know, I remember what it felt like for me. Like nobody answered me. Nobody helped me. Nobody. And um, I'll never I'll never do that. I'll always respond. Okay, well, let me endorse this because I don't know why I I sent you a DM on January 1st. (laughs) You responded January 2nd. Yes. And you have 625,000 followers on Instagram and you the next day, the very next day responded to me. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I make sure I go through them. I go through them for everybody. I respond to everybody. You know, I received a response. I received a DM today. It said, I know your message is, I know your messages are towards kids, but I'm, I'm battling cancer right now. And your messages remind me that these are my glory days, you know? So like everyone takes the message in their own way. And that to me, that's like, that's so important to me. You know, I'm not just helping the kids. It's every human, you know, everyone watching. Congratulations. You know, I, I believe in that same uh, philosophy. I, I have that same sentiment and, and behavior that of the 14,000 students attending my schools, they send me emails and, and DMs and I respond to every single one of them. And I tell them, by the way, I am the one responding. I don't have an assistant that responds. And that's what helped me become successful way back then, like when we had zero followers and, you know, zero people were interested in helping us out. Uh, But we were personally involved and engaged with people. So why would we stop doing that? Right, right. Like you make people feel like, hey, like I'm listening to you. Hey, you're important, you know, no matter what, no matter if I have one follower or a million, right? It doesn't matter. Like what you have to say is important. I'm looking to you in the eye and like, you know, everyone's important. When you make someone feel you know, important and you hear them and you listen to them and you respond to them, that, that can change someone's whole life, you know? So I really remember that because I felt like no one ever heard me. I felt like I was always just like, you know, no one listened to me. No one listened to my ideas, you know? And and I want to make sure that I don't, I don't let anyone feel like that. And just like you're saying, and just like you do, you know, you make, and that's why you're successful too because, you know, I can tell like, you connect with people in a different way. And I think that comes with what you had to overcome too, right? Like we all take that with us later. We're still that person in a, in a weird way. Like we're still that person. I'm still that younger Jordan. I'm just older now, but I, I'm still that person, you know? Absolutely. That That is my story. And I, I love my story. Didn't didn't always love it as you, as you share, but I love that that's my history. And by the way, the fact that you brought up storytelling, because I, I really, really believe that the best teachers are storytellers. And you obviously have a story to tell and you're super good at telling your story too. So, so thank you for that. So not, not to take you back, but what was your biggest regret growing up? My biggest regret when I look, think about my life is, is not giving myself a chance. Like I never gave myself a chance for, for 18 years. I always sold myself short and I, and I regret that. I regret that in a way that, you know, I feel like I could have done so much more in those 18 years if I just realized I was going to be okay. But then I look at my regret of that and I go, you know what? But if I didn't have those regrets, I wouldn't have so much 
a momentum and energy now to kind of prove to my younger self that I that I have that regret, you know? So it's a regret for me. And I think about it a lot, like a lot of things in my life. But then I go, you know what? But I wouldn't be this hungry or this motivated to do what I'm doing if I didn't have them. So sometimes, you know, regrets are tough to swallow, but they're also, you know, a big part of your story and why you are who you are. So that's really my biggest regret. Really selling myself short earlier in my life, but I'm making up for lost time now. And I think everyone can do that. You know, one of my uh, belief systems is ready, fire, aim, which is backwards for some people. For most people, it's ready, aim, and fire. I like that. I like but, that. Yeah, yeah, but I you're right. People that they've been aiming for 20 years and they still haven't fired. Right, right. And, and I'm just the fire already. Okay, so you you might fall on your face and it might be bad and you might screw up, but at least you did something and you're going to learn and gain from that. Um, and it sounds to me like that's sort of the approach that you have taken with all of this as well. You know, the fact that you would put yourself out there. And I used to tell people that I was a motivational speaker before I actually was one. Oh, right, right. I like to tell the truth in advance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. You know, when it's so funny. So I was, you're right. You got to say it. You have to like, so I, I was a financial advisor for 10 years and I never want to be a financial advisor, just how it happened. And I taught when I share this with the kids at the school, like, so to become an advisor, you got to take a lot of tests and I'm, I'm the worst test taker ever. I can't sit still when I read something, I don't get it. My eyes jump and especially that kind of stuff. I studied, I failed 11,000 practice tests for a whole year for this one test. And I talk about a lot in my book when I wrote my book. And I became this advisor. And I, every most advisors, you know, come from, you know, good schools. They're really good at math. Like, I was none of that, right? I was just, I don't even know how I got there. I just got there. I sold windows door to door. Then I ended up being an advisor. But as I was an advisor, right, I started to make this transition as a, a motivational speaker. And then when I would meet people, like you said, like, I would, they go, what do you do? I would almost always say an advisor. Then 2000 and like, 19, I started going, I'm a motivational speaker, even though I didn't even do it. But I would start telling that go. Oh. And I remember I told my neighbor, I'll never forget, I told my neighbor, he was walking his dog. He goes, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a motivational speaker. He goes, and he, and he looked at me and he goes, not to offend you, but who, who would want to hear you speak? <laughs> That's, he really he said said that? That's what he said to me. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say to him. And I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know yet. But I didn't know how to respond, you know, because it, it was a strange response. But I remember I shut the door and I told my wife that I'm like, this guy just kind of made fun of me. I said, I got to keep doing this, you know? And I started laughing about it, but it was funny how he said that. I'm, I almost kind of remember that. It kind of helped me, like, I wanted to prove my neighbor wrong <laughs> in a way, even though I know he didn't really follow me at all, but it gave me a little bit of a motivation, you know, a little chip on the shoulder. It was fun. It was a funny response. So I'm just, I'm just curious, a little thought here. Have you ever been to a high school reunion? N no, no. I, so, I haven't been to a high school reunion, but... I run into people in town, you know, and, you know, it's different now. It's different, you know, because uh, when I was on the Today Show, you know, that was a big thing. And then because I live in the same town I grew up in. So, like, you know, I haven't I run into people, you know, and they talk to me more and everyone knows me now. You know, it's a different feeling, you know, but I'm just I'm the same Jordan. But it's uh, it's a little different. Well, since you just brought it up, tell us about the Today Show experience. Oh, the Today Show. Yes. So I got an email from NBC like, hey, we want to feature you on towards Mother's Day for the Today Show. And we want to do your story and how your mom was a huge you know, part of your 
your life and your success. And I was like, let's do it, you know? And they were like, we want you to come in. Let's come in and let's do it. You know, we're trying to get Al Roker and stuff. And then Al Roker had something going on, change of plans real quick. They called me up. I was speaking in Pensacola, Florida, right on the border of like Mobile, Alabama. And I, they said, hey, we're going to come to your house and record it. I said, my house? I said, you got to go to my mom's house. It's cleaner. And they started laughing. So I called my, I called my mom. I'm like, mom, NBC's coming to your house. And then the NBC says, hey, would your mom be willing to get interviewed? Right. And I'm like, my mom is very nervous, but I'm going to, but I'm going to say yes. Right. Before I even asked my mom, I said, yeah, she'll do it. I called my mom. I said, mom, they're coming to your house and you're getting interviewed too for the Today Show. And she's like, what? And she was so nervous. She's like, I got to clean the house. I'm like, they're not coming today. They're coming here a few days, but just get, get the house ready, get some food. You know, my mom got bagels. She got, she got fruit, you know, every for the whole crew to come in. And they came to my mom's house. It was really cool. I flew in from Florida the night before, got there in the morning, got their camera set up. And my mom was so nervous. <laughs> you know, my mom is so funny because she kept thinking in her head, like when you do an interview, right, you can't think what they're going to ask you. you. Like one thing I always do for myself when I go speak, I never think about what I'm going to say. I know that like my intuition and how it comes out naturally from my heart will be the best way that I can say it. If I think about it, then I'm not going to say it. Right. So like anyone who's like speaking, you're getting interviewed. It's not you don't have to like practice what you're going to say. Just know what you're going to say and why you want to say it and you'll say it right. So I was, but my mom was so nervous. She couldn't help herself. She wrote down all these questions that my mom was first. The producer asked her two questions. She froze. And then she said to the producer, can you just ask me this question? And then the producer said, okay. Awesome. And then she did it. But then it was an awesome experience. It was fun. It was really a tribute to my mom, you know, you know, believing in me and getting me over the hump, you know, of all the hard days. But so is your mom now a writer for NBC? Is that it? Yeah. yeah. My mom's a, they bring her on when they, uh, when they go. need some questions. Right? You know, I, I, I watched the interview. I saw your mom. She's lovely. And in a minute here, we're going to talk about mom and why that's such an important topic. And, and I also love the fact that you said that you can't sit still. I, I mean, here I'm, I'm 64 years old and recently is on a plane. I mean, here I am, I'm successful. I'm in I'm a dad, I'm a, a businessman, and I'm sitting in first class, and the woman next to me told me to sit still. <laughs> right, right, right. My whole life, yeah. that's all I ever hear, sit still. I think she just got so frustrated with me, and I started laughing, and she started laughing, but there we go. <laughs> that's what we, you and I carry with us, right? Oh, yeah, you just got, and you just got to laugh about it, right? You laugh about it. It's funny. So I, I've seen you in, in some of the, the events that you do with kids. You have the kids from the who are sitting on the very back of the row move to the very front. Talk about that. Yeah, so like I talk about that like so like my whole life I used to choose the back, you know? And I always ask the kids, who here likes to sit in the back? And, and they raise their hands. And I said, "Tell me why." And a lot of them are, "I don't want to be noticed. I don't want anyone to call me. I don't want anyone to know me, right?" And I and I tell them, "I want you to be you want to be noticed. You want to be in the front. You want to be here. I want you here." And I want them to be noticed. That's why I ask that question. And I bring them up and I and I bring the mic to them. And I'll, I'll go all the way to the back and put the mic, you know, and give them the mic because I want them to have a voice. I want them to feel noticed. And I make them make a promise to me. Hey, now you're going to every time you go into a room, you know, sit in the front, be noticed. You know, for 18 years, I sat in the back and I hid and I hid from myself. I hid from 
you know, adversity hit from everything. And as soon as you stop hiding from that and you start putting yourself out there, you start to figure out who you are. And that's the recipe for, for, you know, confidence, self-belief. And, you know, even like, like you on the airplane, right? If someone said to you, like I, people say that to me all the time, sit still, you know, I can't, can't be near you. Right. And like, Back then, I used to feel bad about it. Now, you just laugh because you know who you are, right? That's what got you to where you're at. So that's not a uh, – you just shake it off. But when you're younger, it's hard to shake those things off until you build that shield. So that's wow. why I do that. Wow. So before we start talking about your mom, what has been your proudest moment? My proudest moment in my life – I mean, I have a lot of proud moments. I mean, I'm a, I'm a dad – you know, that's a big proud moment for me. But I think, like, other than that, like, being a dad, being, being a husband, having a, you know, family, it's um, my proudest moment for me was really getting through school. Like, I never thought I could get through school. Everything else after that, you know, I believed in myself. I said, you know what, if I can get through this, I can get through anything. If I can get through chemistry, and I still have no idea what is going on in chemistry. If I if I can write a paper, you know, if I can do that, I can do anything. And and then I would say getting through school and writing my book. Writing my book was something that you know I never thought I could do. Kind of like your quote where you say, you know, you know, you got to fire first. You know, I wrote my book. I wrote it on my kitchen table, and. I had spelling errors, you know, I put a period, I'm like, let me put a period here, comma here, you know, I, I didn't even know where to put my period, I just, I just said, this was like a run-on sentence, let me put a period here, and I just wrote, you know, from my heart, and I wrote it, and I remember writing it saying, man, this is, this, there's some errors in here, I'm like, but I'm like, you know what, like, there's, there's mistakes in here, but I want to publish this book with mistakes, I'm going to get it edited, just make sure it's like, someone can read it, so it's not completely insane, but I had like a friend edit it, not like a real editor. And I'm like, can you just make sure the periods and commas are kind of good? And I didn't put any words that don't make any sense. Cause I'm, I, you know, some, cause I can't see my mistakes. So he's like, yeah, yeah, this looks pretty good. And I'm like, all right. And I remember I self published it at bookbaby.com because when no publisher would take my book, when I tell you, you're probably familiar with this. If, did you ever write a book before? Oh, yeah. By the way, I, I mailed it to you uh, yesterday. It went in the mail to you. And I self published as well, by the way. Oh, so, oh, also, thank you for sending me your book. I'm going to read it. So if you know, you know the deal, right? You self-publish it, right? So, but I didn't know what to do. So I reached out to uh, literacy agents and I was like, and I emailed hundreds of them and sent them my transcript and people would respond. No one's going to read this book. There's errors in this book. Are you crazy? All these crazy responses. <laughs> so I said, all right. I spoke out in New Mexico and Albuquerque, came home, took the check I made from Albuquerque and just put it all towards my book. I took the picture on my my camera phone in front of – I walked over to my high school, stood in front of my old school bus that gave me the most anxiety. I made my wife take the picture. I'm like, all right, that's perfect for the cover. I sent it in the book, baby, published the book, and it was the top 800 book on all of Amazon at one point. Now it fluctuates, but – after a year, I get calls every day from publishers wanting to take over at this point. But it's funny because, you know, I, I was so proud that like I actually wrote a book and I did this. And I, like, I, it was hard for me to write a three-page paper in college. I wrote like a 100-page book or 90-page, whatever it is. It was so crazy. And I was so proud of myself that like that, that was one of the prouder moments. About, not the fact that I sold a lot of copies, but the fact that I actually just finished a real book that, that made sense, you know? And I'm pretty proud of that, you know? So I'd say college, my book, being a, being a husband and dad and, you know, family, those three things are, are my proudest moments. That's great because, yeah, we, we struggle with uh, 
reading comprehension, meaning we don't read, but we write books. There you go. Right, right. I'm not saying I'm the best reader, but I can write a book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, so let's talk about mom. And I love it that that's what the Today Show wanted to have you on and talk about uh, mom in honor of of Mother's Day. I I, I lost my mom uh, about a month ago. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. She was uh, 96 years old, and and I have no regrets. I have absolutely no regrets. I I was doing an, another interview earlier this morning, and um, we were talking about a, a mentor of mine. And that mentor, when I started to make some money, that mentor pulled me aside and said, "Hey, I bet you're uh, now that you're making some money here, you're probably excited to go buy yourself a new car, right?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah." He's like, "No, buy your mom a new car. You're going to have the rest of your life." To buy yourself probably multiple, many beautiful brand new cars. How much time are you going to have to be able to buy your mom a new car? And he, and I mean, he was right. And that's what I did. Like, I just, I have no regrets and I want to honor my mom. And I think that a lot of people have this bad habit of not having a good relationship with their parents. And maybe that bad habit started because there was a, you know, a scuffle as a teenager. And we just carried that with us into adult life. And, and I would like to say that, maybe sometimes we have a difficult time moving on in life and being good parents because we're not good children. I remember when it turned for me when, yeah, I I need a good mom and my mom was always a great mom, but there was a time when it turned around where, guess what? My mom needs a really good son. I still need a really good mom, but my mom needs a really good son. And a lot of people, they're not there because they haven't gone back to honor their parents. And so talk about your mom. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, even in your mom being 96, you know, it's, I think that for your mom too, you know, I saw that post with your mom and I know you got her the car, but like, I believe like your mom's greatest gift you can give your mom, you gave her that car, but watching you like become successful and what you overcame, that's like, like, that's like the greatest gift of all. So like no regrets there is like, Hey, my mom got to see that, you know, all her hard work, all her belief, she got to see the person she knew I could become, you know, that's like what I like think about my mom like I always try to live up to the person my mom like knows I can be you know and she always like that's what moms do they they see the best in you even at your worst you know and like you said before like moms or parents right in general anybody the people that love you the most will take your best shot at your worst right they'll take your best shot over and over again and still love you and be there for you no matter what so as you get older you got to look back and understand that like you said you got to you got to see what they did and how like you you were giving them a hard time. They were still there, you know. So, you know, for my mom, like I look back at my life, I'm like, how is my mom still calling me? My mom calls me every morning at like five. My mom will call me at five a.m. Like I every morning, I'm up early and she'll call me and she's drinking her coffee every morning. I'm like, mom, I'm going to the gym, mom. I gotta get in the zone. She's like, well, let me just finish what I'm saying, you know. And I did. I talked to my mom, but but my and I always talk to her. I call, she calls me multiple times, but she is. My mom, you know, fought for me. And and one thing I could say about my mom for me is that everything she told me in my life, I used to act like I wasn't listening. And I used to act like I wasn't listening. But when I got to a point, I was in college, I remember, I was in the summer program, and I was crying in the bathroom, trying to escape, trying to get out of there. And I was looking at myself in the mirror, 
And I started to hear all the things my mom used to tell me when I was a little boy. She'd say, Jordan, you are smart. You just learn your own way. You know, you have charisma. I didn't even know what charisma meant. She was always telling me, Jordan, you have charisma. I could see it. You know, people like you. People are drawn to you. Wherever we go, everyone tries to talk to you. You don't even know it. You have these gifts. You've got to use it. Right? And I, I acted like I wasn't listening my whole life. My mom never stopped telling me all the good things about me, right? All the good things about me. And I tell parents this when I do parent sessions, I tell them never, ever stop doing that because they're going to hear you when they need to hear you. You think they're not listening, but they hear you. And you can, you could probably understand this when like the things your mom told you, you, know, you, you heard it when you need to hear it, right? Like when I need to hear it, I go back and I hear everything my mom told me. And that that got me through a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of things, because that was the only voice I could hear. Everyone else, you know, no one gave me that. No one believed in me like that. So, you know, I owe it to my mom for getting me through those years. And I tell the parents, hey, don't give up on your kids, because as soon as you give up, they'll take it, right? I would have took it. I was waiting for my mom to give up on me, and she just wouldn't. She wouldn't go away. And that is a, a very powerful thing to to remember, especially when you're a parent and you're dealing with it. Like, hey, I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I'm going to tell my child how much I love them, how much I believe in them, all the good things. And, and they're going to hear me one day. And it's true. I heard it. And it, it took 18 years, but I heard it, you know, and now right. I'm still hearing it. My mom, when, when my mom sees me on camera and if I don't shave my face, she will send me a text and say, Jordan, if you don't shave your face, I'm unfollowing you. So, so she hates when I don't shave. But like, you know, I don't like shaving every single day. It hurts, you know. And I hate shaving. I like to wait like two, three days. You get a little bit of length, you know. But it's my mom doesn't understand it. But she's she, she's always she's always on me. My mom. This is awesome. This is awesome. This is all of this is just music to my ears. Again, not just because I am a good son with no regrets with an amazing mom, but also I'm a dad. I'm an 11 year old daughter. And so everything that you share and talk about, it's all I think about to be a good dad and to protect my little girl. This is all I think about. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, and I know like, like, like in your life, right? Like think about your life. I, I think about it all the time, like everything could be going good. Right. But if my son gets hurt, or whatever, my whole day's messed up. Or my daughter, right? So like, they're like your life. They're my life. Like, it, like everything can go perfect, but if something's wrong, anything, my kids, they're upset. Whatever, you know. It's it's a ninety nine point nine percent of my entire life is is your kids, and that's how our parents felt about us. So it's uh, it's how it is. How, how old are your kids? I have a four year old, and then a, a four year old, and a one year old. Wow! Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And, and two dogs too, right? And two dogs. I have a Great Dane and an English Bulldog. My house is insane. Man, it is. <laughs> it is. Your wife is a saint. My wife is a saint because she deals with me, my kids, and my dogs. And it's completely wow. insane. And my wife's a very calm person. And I'm, like, waking up, like, doing everything. Like, this morning I was vacuuming at 4.40 in the morning because I just had to do it before I left for the gym. And, I, and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> 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 okay, so give a shout out because you know, people, I think it's human nature that people want to excuse themselves from hearing your words, from hearing the message. And so th the excuse that they will use as to why they don't have to listen to what Jordan has to say is because they weren't gifted with a beautiful mom. You have a wonderful mom that never gave up on you. You have a beautiful mom to this day who cares enough about you to make sure that you don't look bad on camera. Right. Um, but people listening to this, they will dismiss everything that you have said for the last hour. Why? Because they don't have a mom like that. What's your message to those people? 
Well, my message is that, you know, mom, I believe mom, mom's a special word, right? But I believe it's really a universal, it's a universal word. It really is. It Mom is not just a mom, like your mom. Mom is, it could be your dad, right? It could be your that grandma. It could be that teacher. When I say the word mom, it's, it's the way they treat you. It's the way they care for you. It's the way they believe in you. So I tell them, look at your life right now. It might be the librarian. It might be the, the secretary when you walk into to, to school that, 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 that says hi to you and smiles and says, hey, I like that shirt. How are you making you feel good? It's the people that make you feel good, the people that are, are making you have that good feeling, that see something in you. That's the mom in your life. So if you... If you take a second to hear what I'm saying and look around your life, I know you have one person around, one person. You have one person. Somewhere you can grab it in your life. There's someone there giving you that chance and believing in you. That's the person you got to hold on to. And sometimes that person is the one that maybe is the toughest with you, right? Or maybe it's on your case the most. Maybe are just always there. It might be a coach, right, in a sport, whoever it is. I know you have that person. You, you got to look for it. And sometimes you're not looking hard enough, but you'll find them. And that's going to be the person to get you to places you never thought you can go, you know, because we can't do it alone. Oh, what a great message. And recently listening to Simon Sinek talk about people think that to be successful in life, whether it's business or personal, that you need a huge army that believes in you, a huge army that's behind you. He's like, no, 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 no. You need one. Right. One, one, one person. One person. That's it. You're right about that, Wayne. One person, one person is looking at you and go, you know what? You know, I believe in you. You know, you could do this. Like you saying that I have a friend, right? He's been a friend of mine forever. He was down and out. Everyone gave up on him, right? And I noticed it. But I saw something and I'm like, I'm like, you're really good. He's a really good at this certain thing when it comes with people. He's very blunt, but he's very good at it, right? He makes it, he does it in a way. He's got a really cool, unique personality. And I, I noticed it about him. But he was making bad decisions. Everyone left him in his whole life. He was basically homeless. And I called him every single day. And I would say, dude, I believe in you. You can do this. Go in the mirror. Tell yourself you believe in yourself. And I call him every day. Now he is the top, top guy at his company. He, he was homeless. No, he could buy any car he wants. He just by me calling him and tell him I believe in him, you know, so it really is one person. I'm still in touch with him today. And I'm always, you know, I bust his chops. He's one of my best friends, but, um, but uh, he, he, it's true. One person that that's just like my firsthand experience on the, on the other side of it wow. of really just one person just making a phone call. So like, you know, if, if whoever's listening, you know, if you might be that person too, like, look, think about in your life, like that one person that you see that needs you to believe in them. Like you got to see that you got to, you got to put a little effort towards that person. They need you to believe in them. They need you just, just for that reminder, you know, you could change their whole life. And you don't need 625,000 Instagram followers to have that impact. No, no. And if you're just starting out and you think no one's watching your videos, trust me, trust me. You're, you're not doing it for the followers and the what you're doing it for the people that need to watch your videos. And eventually, you know, the people that believe in your message and connect with you will come to you and it will happen. You know, you just got to keep believing and keep going. Well, I'm, I can't believe it. We've, we've been over an hour already. <laughs> oh, wow. I feel sorry for anybody who has to sit with you and I at lunch to sit and, and put up with us, you know? We're, no, we're they'll, be... kick, they'll kick us out. You know when they give you the bill and you're like, well, we're not done. And they're just giving you the bill. <laughs> Gosh. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if you've been in front of a corporate audiences yet, but that's that, that's it. That's my goal. You're gonna, I'm going to get you in front of corporate people because your message – 
I know you have a passion for kids, but man, leaders and, and parents and lots of people need this message. So, so thanks for what you're doing. And to wrap things up, oh, also, I, I want you to send a, an email to that school who corrected your spelling and, and let them know that you're a creative speller, that there's more than one <laughs> way to spell many different words and, and you're very creative. Uh, I like that. I like it. It's the way it sounded in my head. That's the only way I could do it. <laughs> I was like, what? You only know one way to spell? That's so sad. I know lots of ways to spell that word. <laughs> right. So do you have a, to wrap things up, do you have a, a final message or even, you know, what legacy do you want to leave behind? Um, legacy wise, you know what? It's, it's a cool time to be alive because I think that, you know, you really could leave a pretty cool legacy now because you could leave like, the internet lasts forever, right? So, the biggest legacy I want to leave when it comes to just like what I'm doing is that I want people to look at their life, right? Look at their life. And I want them to, at any point in their life, make a decision to go after, you know, what they really want and what they believe in. I don't want them to think they can't do something because they haven't been successful anywhere in their life. I want to leave this legacy where, hey, you can struggle, you can make mistakes, you could be not be good at anything, right? But you could still go out there and become the person that you want to become and what you see for yourself, no matter what. And I, that's a really important for me because I think a lot of people, like especially you know all over the world, are at their jobs and they, and they have all these dreams and goals and stuff, and they never you know act on them because they don't think they can do it. But you never know what you can do unless you go for it. And, and the legacy I want to leave like, is I want people to go for it. I want kids to go for it. I want adults to go for it. Like, you've got to go for it because you never know what might happen, you know? And even if it doesn't work out, who you become when you go for it is the reason why it works out. And that's, that's the message I want people to know. You know, you've got to go for it. we got one life, right, Wayne? we got one life to give it all we have here as long as we're here. And you want to look back on your life and know you, you know you used up every second the way you wanted it. Jordan, this has been unbelievable. Absolutely incredible. Jordan, I, I'm so grateful. And you and your incredible person, Joelle. Thank you, Joelle, for making this happen. Uh, this is going to come out really, really soon. So thank you so much for this time with you today. Oh, you got it. Yes, Joelle, thank you. Because Joelle has been a lifesaver. Brand new, but she's, she's saved my life. <laughs> oh. Beautiful. 